COVID-19 has radically changed the way most of us interact with the areas we live in, our neighborhoods, our towns, our cities. A lot of us have stayed close to home for the past six months now due to the pandemic. In a world where so much happens online, this year has brought a new focus to the places and realities where we live. Nextdoor is a website and app billed as quote-unquote bringing neighbors together to cultivate a kinder world. It's hyper-local social media designed to create communities around neighborhoods, the kind of place where you might buy a neighbor's vacuum or ask for a recommendation for a babysitter. But people have voiced concerns that Nextdoor can perpetuate racist ideas under the guise of safety. I spoke with Nextdoor CEO Sarah Fryer for our Wired 25 event, which highlights 25 people working to make things better in an uncertain world. I asked her how Nextdoor is measuring its efforts to prevent racial profiling on its site, what she's noticed about Nextdoor users during COVID, and the importance of knowing at least six of your neighbors. This is Get Wired, and I'm your host, Lauren Good. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. Lauren, thank you. It's such a delight. So there are probably some people listening who aren't on Nextdoor or or maybe just a little bit familiar with it. And the comparison I most often hear when people say, what is Nextdoor? Someone says, well, it's kind of like Facebook for your neighborhood. And I think that probably has a lot to do with the design of it. You know, the fact that it has a news feed. But I would love to hear your thoughts on that comparison and particularly how you feel being compared to Facebook at a time when our relationship with Facebook is a little bit fraught. Sure. And of course, we know that local has never been more important as people are staying at home, working from home, and have seen so much of the need to reach out during this crisis to the people that live around them. In terms of the comparison to other social media platforms, we do think we're very different. We are bringing together people who don't already know each other. It's a very different graph. So it's not your friend graph. It's not your professional graph. It is literally the people who have what they have in common with you is proximity. And in times of crisis, that's actually incredibly important because those are the people that can show up at your door and go grab a prescription. Um, there are people like me who have, are, are privileged to be healthy, who can go out and go to the supermarket for, say, an elderly neighbor. And we think it's important that you're not in a thought bubble. You are literally meeting people who are very diverse and different from you and sharing opinions um, and starting to garner empathy for one another. One of the things that you've said in the past is that one of the differentiators is you authenticate people in a different way when they join the platform, right? You're verifying them in a certain way. Talk a little bit about how that happens and ultimately how you grow a business like that when there are these intentional barriers put up to people joining the community. Yes. So we always say Nextdoor was founded in trust. So as you just noted, we do take the time to verify that you're a real person at a real address. And that's important because that starts to build trust and accountability. So that is a big part of our ethos. You're right that there are times when we will take the road less trodden. So it isn't just growth at any cost. It's very intentional growth. There are other parts of our platform where we intentionally slow people down. In fact, as we see conversations get more heated, we often will interject something called our kindness reminder. It's a piece of technology that we worked on with a bunch of amazing social scientists to 
effectively slow people down often when they're here in this part of their brain, dinosaur brain, and bring them back up to their frontal cortex where they can think and really work through those biases. And we think it's so important, never be more important, in fact, at a time when people are quite stressed and so therefore potentially more on edge, easier to trigger, um, that we are reminding them that great neighborhoods are created with kindness. So those are just two examples of things we do that often slow down growth, but we think it's intentional and good growth. And we're still in 268,000 neighborhoods in 11 countries. So it certainly hasn't held us back. Right. And what you've said in recent interviews is that you've seen a fair amount of growth on the platform since the pandemic started, uh, presumably because people are looking to their neighbors for resources and that sort of thing. But I'm glad you brought up that idea of slowing down. In fact, Wired did a story on Nextdoor back in 2017 about some of the design changes that Nextdoor was making to try to slow people down, particularly when it came to racial profiling. There had been activity spotted, particularly in the crime and safety section of the website, where people were racial profiling. And it's a very real problem on the platform, as it is on many other platforms. And so Nextdoor instituted these mechanisms to basically get people to stop and say, hey, wait a second, are you sure you want to post that? And now that it's been a few years... I'm wondering how you're measuring whether or not that's working. Yes, great questions, because, of course, we can all make ourselves feel good by doing things, but are we actually showing real material results? And as you point out, things like racial profiling are problems in society, and so they will expose themselves onto virtual environments, too. If you take something like racial profiling, so for a start, we've even changed the name. We only talk about safety now. We've removed the word crime because we think that triggers a particular thought process. We worked with some great academics, including Dr. Jennifer Eberhardt out of Stanford. If you all haven't read her book, Biased, at a minimum, listen to her TED Talk, because she talks exactly about the science behind slowing people down. And so as we've measured that impact since 2015, we now see that 75% less posts are made with racial profiling in them. And then, of course, from there, we, have, we of course, moderate uh, to make sure that no post, any post is, is obviously a miss. And so we want to make sure it's not happening. Other examples, we've put in place a neighborhood pledge recently, really reminding people that Nextdoor is a community guideline platform where you do agree coming to our platform that you'll be helpful, not hurtful, for example, or that there's no place for hate speech or racism. And just that sign up is often a way that a human will remember, oh, I'm supposed to act in a certain way. And then beyond the kind of stick, there's also the carrot, right? We don't just want to tell people what not to do. It's actually often far more important to norm people to the positive. What is it that works well here? And what do I get rewarded for? And so being able to use actions like a like or a thank you, um, we often will use personalization to move posts that are really deeply meaningful neighbors to neighbors up the stack. And as we create products like groups, we're able to also augment here are the types of groups that are working well in your neighborhood. I literally just prior to this was listening to a neighbor talking about her walking group in Manhattan. It's a, a women's only walking group, um, but she talked about the camaraderie for someone who'd moved from the Midwest, who's quite young in her 20s, um, and really just missed human to human interaction. So they're socially distanced walking with masks on, but for her, it was all about the conversation and finding some connection. People are lonely people are anxious, and they really are trying to find new ways to come together. And you can only do that in an in real life neighborhood way, because you've got to live near people if you're going to walk with them. 
Right. That makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like you're seeing some measures of success based on some of the changes you've made around racial profiling. I'm wondering what it is you would say to folks who are still a little bit hesitant to be on Nextdoor. They don't want to participate because they see a lot of problematic content or outright racist content. What is your best answer to that right now? Sure. So I would, first of all, give it a try. People often arrive with a utilitarian, um, something to fall. I need a plumber. I want to know the best place to grab coffee locally. I'd love a play date for my kids. A lot of people are struggling right now with kids at home. But stay for the community and the connectedness. Actually start to see that blossom. And we know what's happening in neighborhoods right across those 11 countries. In terms of, you know, if you're uncomfortable, know that we are moderating. So we use local leads and now local community reviewers. One of the things we heard really in the depths of what was going on around Black Lives Matter right after George Floyd's killing was that people wanted to have more moderation and they really wanted to see the diversity of their community in those moderators. And so we've actually just launched a new program called Community Reviewers. I have been wowed by how many people have put their hand up to be a community reviewer. And one thing we know for sure is the more that we get newer members into those community reviewer roles, the better, because newer members tend to be much more representative of their community at large, rather than, say, maybe our founding members. We love them, too, but we love that our newer members tend to be more representative. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Sarah, I want to ask you more about content moderation when we come back. Sarah, you bring up content moderation, which is a really important topic these days. You probably saw recently that YouTube, after saying back in March they were going to rely a little bit more on AI to moderate some problematic content, just went back to humans. It turns out humans were very valuable, uh, the jobs that we do. And so I'm wondering, what do you think? And it sounds like you're relying heavily on humans and people in the community to moderate content. But I'm wondering what you see the future of content moderation being on platforms like yours. Like, do we swing back towards AI once the technology gets better? Or do content moderators finally become a a valued and highly paid role in technology? What does the future look like? Sure. So we view it as a layered cake. And there's three layers in my cake right now. The first is where I started, which is that moderation happens at a local level. And we think it's really important because only the people who live in that neighborhood actually have local context, right? It's very hard to imagine how a company in Silicon Valley could possibly be moderating my dad's neighborhood in Northern Ireland with no context for what it's really like to live in that rural community. So that's kind of step one. And as I said, we're broadening those roles. So today, a lot of the focus is content moderation, but our leads also um, fulfill many other roles. Like they're often the welcome wagoner. They're often the person that might get a community together around, say, local businesses. So we're also expanding how we think about roles over time. So that's kind of layer one. Layer two is technology. I never want to say technology is the solution to all ills, but it can have a very scalable part to play. And so clearly we do use machine learning to be able to spot, um, for example, when a conversation is starting to heat up, a machine can spot quickly that that's happening. So things like sentences get shorter, they start losing all punctuation. Often they might move to all caps, for example. And that might be a great time to remind mid-flight 
A, to slow down, so interject something like our kindness reminder, but it might also be a great time to suggest a group because we know that for some people, they are really, really passionate about, say, civic engagement in their local neighborhood, but not everyone wants to talk about the new zoning law. And so that's a time when technology might flip you over into a group, for example. And then, of course, the third layer of my three-layer cake is internal moderation at next door. We have a neighborhood operations team, and in particular for maybe some of the most controversial topics, things like discrimination and racism, they go directly to our neighborhood operations team because we want to make sure the people that are perhaps most sophisticated in that review are taking a look at content that could be most problematic. So always more to do. It's a journey. It's like security, um, which I used to cover a lot back when I was uh, an analyst at Goldman Sachs. You are never done. Um, the fraudsters or the people that want to create division We'll always keep finding ways around and to do more, but our job is to stay ahead of them and frankly, to keep bringing back to neighborhoods that feeling of kindness and that feeling of why when neighborhoods are strong, really good things happen. What would you say is the most interesting thing you've learned about people on Nextdoor during the pandemic? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I'm actually gonna go back pre-pandemic where I literally went to every country that we are in, or I went to 10 out of 11. I didn't go to Italy, unfortunately, which was a miss. And what I heard that surprised me is actually a little negative. I heard a lot of people talking about loneliness and social isolation. And it wasn't just say seniors in a community or say a young mom who for the first time is home with a baby. It was coming across every neighbor almost that I met with, regardless of age or whether they worked or didn't work, male or female. And so that actually started a lot of research and work that we've now continued through the pandemic. Um, we are currently surveying neighbors in Australia, the UK, and the US. I'm working, frankly, with some of the best academics on this topic of loneliness and social isolation. One of the first findings is that if you know six neighbors or more, hopefully, but you, six is the magic number, you are much less likely to suffer from that feeling of being isolated or that anxiety that comes with it. So turns out neighbors are good for your health. And it also does align with our, our former Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, came up with the best tagline, which is loneliness is the equivalent of smoking. 15 cigarettes per day. So I do think that there is going to be a global trend, particularly through COVID, because we're having our own social experiment right now of being trapped in our own little boxes without a lot of real human-to-human -human connection about just the negative impact that can have and how we all need to kind of fight the other way. Local is an easy, fast way to do it because you can literally go for a walk, you know, down your street in Manhattan. I can hit a more suburban community here where I live. And even if it's as simple as a quick wave or a greeting, that can really make a difference in someone's life if they're struggling with anxiety and social depression. Absolutely. Sarah, I think we only have a few minutes left and I have some audience questions that I wanted to ask you, but I may only be able to get to one of them. And by the way, the Best of Next Door account, that Twitter account, told me to tell you hello. For those of you who don't know what the Best of Next Door is, I recommend you go check it out because they share some of the more interesting Next Door stories on Twitter. Okay, let's ask this question coming from Cruz Alvarado. And thank you for sending in your question, Cruz. How do you see the political landscape impacting your decisions on future projects? Yeah, Cruz, thank you. It's a great question and it's something I'm spending a lot of time on, as you can imagine, with the U.S. election, 
And clearly, even last year with Brexit in the UK, it was very top of mind for our UK neighbors. First of all, we should probably just make clear that we don't allow conversations around national politics in the main news feed on Nextdoor. We just find it got too divisive, too controversial. So we actually ask the neighbors to take that over into a group and they can found their own group to talk about it or probably find a group where people do want to talk national politics. On the other side, we think local politics actually has a really big place on Nextdoor. We know that often people come together in their community because they want to be civically minded or civically active. And in fact, that's one of the things that tends to fall away when communities no longer strengthen what are called weak ties. So you're not able to get a group together to say, hey, we want to put you know, traffic cones on this road because our kids are playing here and we'd like to slow down the traffic. And so we do want that to be a very healthy part of next door. And in fact, I think it's one of the huge utilities that neighbors get out of it. So it's an interesting nuance of how do we ensure national moves off into a group, but local can really stay in the main newsfeed because for many people, there's no local news anymore, no newspaper to go to. So it can be the way that they're finding out about what's going on with, say, the local mayor. We also work with a lot of public agencies to make sure the most recent and the best information is really top of mind. And that can be everyone from, say, Governor Newsom here in California, the mayor of London, Mayor Khan, all the way to FEMA. Right now, we have a lot of tropical storms and hurricanes moving either through Texas or up the East Coast. Um, We have wildfires here in California. And that's a really important place for government and often politicians to be involved because they're actually providing information that keeps neighborhoods safe. That makes a lot of sense. Sarah Fryer, CEO of Nextdoor, thank you so much for joining me today in this virtual Wired 25 event. Thank you, Lauren. Really appreciate it. Next Wednesday is the last day of Wired 25, and you're not going to want to miss it. We'll hear from Dr. Anthony Fauci, Patrice Peck, the founder of Coronavirus News for Black Folks, Avi Schiffman, the high schooler who built a live global COVID tracker, and more. You can learn more about Wired 25 and catch what you missed at events.wired.com. That's it for this episode of Get Wired. Get Wired is hosted by me, Lauren Good. You can follow me on Twitter at Lauren Good. Thanks to Sarah Fryer, CEO of Nextdoor, for coming on the show. This episode was produced by Anna Stitt, with additional production help from Mickey Capper and Alex Jerome. The mixing and scoring was done by Hannes Brown. And our theme music is by Allison Layton Brown. Nina Gensler-Debs and Sarah Fallon edited this episode. Our executive producer is Alex Kappelman. Scott Rosenfeld is Wired site director, and our editor-in-chief is Nick Thompson. You can find out more about the Get Wired podcast at wired.com forward slash subscribe forward slash get wired. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week.